Hello and welcome to season six of the Gooners podcast. Mike, what, yes. what, what's, what's the point in this anymore? I'm, I'm, I'm full in Wrexham AFC now. Uh, How dare you? I, they're, they're, although they're, not, they're, they're now below Sutton United. Uh, I, uh, no, United I watched proper football league team. Wrexham I watched all of Ryan Reynolds rom-coms this weekend. I'm going all in. <laughs> Are you going to take another video of yourself in the shower with pizza? I mean, because because that was I think the last time we were we were on a stretch like this, you thought that would be a great idea. <laughs> shower pizza is not good. Um, <laughs> uh, You're out of practice, aren't you? <laughs> no, I. You know what? I just right tried now. to. I just tried to ask my buddy if he'd trade Pepe for Antonio in our fantasy league, <laughs> and he just said Antonio will have more points in these two games than Pepe will get all year. And I was thinking, fuck, there's no response to that. Yeah, no, there's nothing. There's nothing we could say at this point. So, so, right. so, so, so I've now gone and invited a Chelsea uh, supporter on with us, but there actually is a very good reason for that. Yes, um, uh, everyone knows right. Owen. Hey, Owen. Um, Serge has returned to join us once again. Uh, we figured – actually, I asked him a few weeks ago if he wanted to come on post-Chelsea. Uh, I think I even started off with, we'll probably get hosed, which we did. Um, do you want to come on? And he was like, sure. And we've had him on before for other goodness versus cancer stuff. But, Serge, how are you, man? Good, good. How are you guys doing? Glad to be back. And that's one hell of an intro video. Like, I've never seen – like, I listened to you guys a while ago, and then I had to stop listening because I didn't care about the content. <laughs> We we hear that all the time, by the way. Not from Chelsea supporters. Not that it wasn't good. I even told Andy, I'm like, it has to be good if I listen like four weeks in a row. Like, Um, that's actually going to be our tagline. I stopped listening because the content. (laughs) I I tuned it. I tuned in for the uh, what did I even? I tuned in for the intro video and I stopped watching for the content. Yeah, I had uh, I had basically done the the little baby job on Andy's intro from last season, which was fantastic. And like, I took it and just chopped and changed it a little bit with updated pictures, pictures and stuff. And then Andy just comes with, and blows mine away with with this masterpiece of his. Uh, it's a minute long, but I mean, what else are you going to do for a minute that's any better than watch that video? Yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah, but it's great because there was like so many of our listeners were always guessing we had these, you know, like stupid excuses as to why Andy was on this sabbatical and we hadn't really seen him in a while. And now we are took him six the months fruits, to clear the fruits <laughs> yeah. of his labor. It's like, it's like you know how you know how like uh, they say like animated movies or, or or animated comic books like like for every minute of film it takes like a month to use. That must have been like the that was it. Know, you, you were you were hand drawing the uh, each frame of that intro video. I'm also putting two and two together now that I missed like sixty percent of our podathon to travel to Milwaukee to visit my friends for his bachelor party who had the disease we were doing the podathon about. So that that's a that's a weird way of not being on the pod. But sorry, I only got what an hour on there, Mike. That was hey. a pretty badass. You guys, well, both of you pretty much made it the whole way through, right? Well, oh yeah! Right, oh, right. No, Owen was the man. Owen was the man. The man next to the man. The, see, the, the the difficult part for me was because we were starting at seven in the evening. I was already up from six in the morning. Oof. So, and then I, I think I did twelve hours for the you first. Did the first day. You did like the first eleven hours, and then you jumped back on uh, yeah. from some dodgy internet connection later on when uh, when you were trying to trying to get back on. But it it. Uh, 
No, it was a it was a smashing success. I want to thank everybody uh, in the chat that that tuned in. Um, we pulled it off, and honestly, everything fell into place. I started planning that thing on a Saturday, and for the following Wednesday, and I can't believe that every guest that we asked to come on, a agreed to come on, other than a couple that were literally on holiday and couldn't, and came on exactly at the time they were supposed to come on. No, no shows, no anything other than. A couple things which easily work themselves out, and uh, and we hit our goal of raising five thousand dollars for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society in a in what was essentially a twenty four hour podcast with a little bit of early uh, early donations coming in, and we got really exciting stuff to talk about with Gunners versus Cancer going forward. But uh, let's let's kind of bring it back to Arsenal a little bit, and and bring it back to why Surge, uh, other than you know to to rain on our parade with regards to football. Um, you know why Serge is on uh, on the pod with us in, in case he didn't catch his appearance last year, Andy. Right. So, Serge, do do everyone a favor because most people, yeah. and I think you'll probably echo this, most people in America when they see someone as a Chelsea supporter have the reaction of bandwagon. I was actually at a park this weekend and I saw a guy in a Liverpool shirt. I was like, oh, it's nice. Did they drop the bandwagon off in the parking lot? And he just started laughing. And uh, then I saw another guy whose son was wearing a Crystal Palace shirt. And I was like, why? And he was like, I'm an idiot, and that's the team I chose on FIFA, and now I hate myself for it because I'm all in. And I was like – because Ollie was running around in an Arsenal kit, and I was like, sorry, dude, and the kids were playing. But anyway, Serge, tell everyone, like, your history with Chelsea and how it wasn't Roman Abramovich's money that brought you to him. It it was not, no. I mean, and this is going to date myself. It's back to 1997, 98, when I first started working at at the local soccer store – here in Milwaukee, you know, called Stefan's. And my parents are both born in Italy, huge Italian heritage. I love the Serie A. And so I started working there and they're like, you got to support a, a Premier League team. And I'm like, okay, well, all right, Azuri, Blue, they had Zola at the time, Viali, you know, Di Matteo, Attilio Lombardo, those Italian guys. So I, you know, I stuck with Chelsea, you know, before, you know, Roman Abramovich took them over and obviously invested us to be champions of who we are right now but um yeah were you like were you like i don't like this whole new money situation i'm losing my love for the club that i that i grew up with i mean i'm gonna jump off and find a team like arsenal who doesn't spend anything well no, I, 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 was, anymore, but. I mean my like three of my four of my closest friends are Arsenal supporters including andy so they gave me enough shit the entire time for me to be like yeah i i understand it but i'm not still gonna i'm not gonna jump ship or now or i care that much because it's the way that football was going at the time and all that kind of stuff so well no i'm sure it's been great and and you know if you were a man city fan in the uh in the late 90s or or in the 80s or 70s when you know when the when their best player the was steven ireland and and, uh like what sean wright phillips or somebody like that (laughs) you you uh you you can't really blame them for being excited about how things have gone uh, and not be bandwagon fans but uh but you have to tell everybody that story because they look at me and even though I, I might look like I'm younger than 42 years old, I'm just like, no, I've actually started supporting Chelsea probably before you were born. And probably the players I'm going to name, you wouldn't even know their names anyway. Other than you well, unless, unless they have packed them on FIFA as yeah. uh, legends or something like right. that. Right. Yeah, they've probably seen Zola and know who Desai is from the back in the day and that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. 
All right, so let's do this. We're going to start off with a quiz. It's a Chelsea Arsenal quiz. Believe it or not, we have shared a lot of players over the last, like, five seasons. It's been a little bit lopsided with us taking all the shitty Chelsea players. Um, but there are, like, 30 players who have played for both clubs. You all have a minute to list as many as possible. Cool. Gallus. All right, so I'm going to start. Once you're ready. Oh, we're not started. We didn't start. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Mike just gave you a freebie. I'm going to start my timer. All right, and then in the uh, chat room, uh, if you want to put how many you got in the minute, too, we'll see how you stack up. All right, go. So we're just naming. Oh, no, don't leave them out. No, don't leave them out. Write them down. Oh, fuck. I don't have paper. Oh, you never yeah, told me about this shit. All right, go get a pen and paper. All right, start, hold on. Start the clock back. I gotta, I'm, I'm going to. Has pen and paper made its way to Ireland, or are you still using like virtual <laughs> using papyrus and uh... scribe paper? Yeah. <laughs> um, All right, the timer hasn't started. Are we talking about? Are, are we talking about they played in their one their youth career in one of those as well, and then transferred to the other? It's just, just, you, they've level. represented at the full level. Um, yeah, full level. All right. Yeah. All right. You ready? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Go. We're gonna have sixty seconds of silence. Then is what you're saying. Yeah, on the podcast. You should do some um, talking over the top of us. Okay, so I will. I will talk over to you. Say that we've played a total of two hundred and four games against Chelsea. We have won seventy nine to their sixty six. So um, there's that. And um, yeah, uh, I'm trying to see how many times. Let's see. Hold on. The highest attendance at either match was in uh, 2017 at Wembley with 88,000. No, sorry, 2009. And they have way more European honors than we do, and we have way more um, domestic oh honors than them. Oh, man. Although we lead the honor count 47 to 31. You told me I could, we could have played a video that was going to last a minute, but uh, but you didn't do that. All right, I think. Uh, All right, we are at a minute. I've got as many as I can. All right, uh, it's like I'm going to be far behind, mainly because I'm not old AF like Mike. <laughs> so, all right, uh, Mike, how many did you get? I got like twenty. Uh, Serge, mm -hmm. how many did you get? God, I didn't write one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight or nine. Okay, <laughs> and then oh, and how many did you get? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay, Mike, you list yours off. Owen and Serge keep a like a checkbox next to him, and then if there's anyone he missed that you have, we'll, we'll throw him in. I'm not going to read all thirty to you guys because that's okay. ridiculous. Because they date back to 1896. <laughs> so well, that's where I that, that's where I, I started from 1896, and then just kind of went forward from that, there. That was like your tenth birthday. <laughs> 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 all right. All right, go. Mike. Starting from my favorite to my least favorite. No, uh, William, uh, David Luiz, mm -hmm. Ashley Cole, mm -hmm. William Gallus, mm -hmm. Giroud, Petr Cech. We can't leave out the Jew, Yossi Benian. Oh, I thought nobody was going to get that one. I mean, how, you didn't think I was going to get that one? Yeah. Um, I thought he was going to get that one. <laughs> Uh, Georgie Graham actually played for Chelsea, I think, at one point. Yep. Um, let's see. We got Anelka. Yep. Pains me to say this, but uh, Rocky Rowcastle. Yep. 
Did I say coal already? Yep. Fabregas. Petit. Uh, Graham Ricks. Yep. Did you, did you uh, just Google the list? Are you just yeah. reading off the list? No. <laughs> Diara and then I... Reading Google I, search. I yeah, estimated I, 20, but is it, after last Diara, I'm, I'm at something of a loss. All right. Uh, and did you guys have anyone in addition to that? No. I think the big one that you were missing in there, Mike, was George Graham played for both Chelsea and Arsenal and managed Arsenal as well. I didn't miss that, though. I said it. Yeah, I oh, you did? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, fuck you, man. Fuck you. Fuck, as no one always says, fuck you. <laughs> well, anyway, that was a really shitty quiz that we started off the pod with. But uh, believe it or not, there are more players that went Arsenal to Chelsea than Chelsea to Arsenal. But Yeah, because we've been better than they are for the vast majority. I mean, like, they would go there after they were no longer good enough for yeah, Arsenal. Now but. the switch is they come to us, and they're really shit uh, when they join us. So – um, really yeah, who are we getting excited. next, Sergio? Who, like, can't, like, wait, who, can't wait to sign Aspilicueta. Who's, yeah, who's the worst, most oldestest player on, on Chelsea, and how can we sign them to a five-year contract on bumper money? Yeah, Aspilicueta's <laughs> going to come next year. Yeah. I'm also really excited for Kepa to take over for Leno next season as well. <laughs> the thing is, we'll pay the $72 million because yeah. they never lose money on players. They will, no. We'll pay. No. <laughs> so, all right. Let's jump to the match. I know hindsight's twenty twenty. But um, for as stacked as a team as Chelsea is, we should not have started with anything other than three at the back. Um, I mean, for me, like I know, okay, we made COVID popular back in March of 2020, and like we basically stopped global football. Are we trying to do that again now? Because half of our team is COVID, and is it just a ruse so we don't actually have to play because we're that bad? But like, sir, you look at the – like. Okay, you were licking your lips going into this, but then when you see the Arsenal lineup, what is your first thought? Like, because I predicted we were going to lose six one. I mean, I, I I was thinking obviously an easy Chelsea win, and that was stemming from what you guys showed last week. Um, but there was, to me, within the first fifteen minutes, I was getting a little nervous because I, I didn't think you guys played that bad in the first fifteen minutes in my eyes and my you know my two cents showing. And even last week when I told you, Andy, like Smith Rowe was showing signs of like being energetic and being like, all right, you know, I'm up for this. But everybody else, it, it seems that I don't know, you guys, you guys lack that senior leadership or that that fight or that, you know, knocks. I mean, if I was one of your center backs, I would have knocked Lukaku like had a, like three or four fouls in the first 15 minutes. So, she, you know, show him because. If you give him that, like he's just gonna abuse all game long, just like he did. So, well, way, and, to, and, way to tell uh, us that after the game. You could have yeah. told us before the game, so well, we could have gotten a message along to them. It, it made <laughs> me, it made me laugh that Pablo Mari did that. You know, like forty minutes into the match, right? Where he like and, that, and like the his persistent service, fouling and the yeah. That, and I'm gonna get to a question in a little bit, Serge, about Lukaku, but uh, but like from <clears throat> Owen, from your perspective, you're looking at this starting eleven. When I look at the threats they have up before even seeing their starting eleven, I'm like, you got to go a back three, and clearly Reese James owned the Emirates on Saturday. Saturday, I mean, he had free reign to do whatever the fuck he wanted because Tierney did not trust Mari, so he just kept coming over and basically playing in a back three. What were your thoughts on the lineup? Yeah, well, look, I think whatever the circumstances were, whether we had all our players fit and available, regardless of that 
no matter what team we were putting out, it was always going to be, you know, subpar to, to, to what Chelsea can put out. Um, and I agree with you completely that where we have had success and where Arteta has had success in the past with these sort of <clears throat> the big six teams um, of late is when we have been quite pragmatic and, and, and sort of sat back in defensive shape. And I actually think that while I would agree with you that Reese James was the probably the standout player of the entire game, that but it was Romelu Lukaku who, who really dictated play completely. And um, I imagine that something that used to be done, even at amateur level when I was playing, is there used to be a, like a man-marking system. And okay, okay, I understand that Pablo Mari was tasked with the, the job of marking Romelu Lukaku, but that's not a man-marking system. What I mean is you have your back four and you have a spur man, and, and that man is literally told, I don't care if you're overly involved in the game, I don't care if you're very good on the ball, your job is literally to be a nuisance and stop him, take him out of the game as much as you can. And I think that that was something that we could have been deployed. For me, this game was won and lost in the wide areas. I think that literally any time that the ball went into Romelu Lukaku, he stepped out um, in towards midfield and Pablo Mario, Rob Holden were sucked out towards him. And Kieran Tierney and, and Cedric, to their credit, did technically what is taught to be the right thing, which is step inside, be narrow and fill the space. But unfortunately, that was just leaving mountains of space for Reese James or Alonso to get into. And then the opposite thing would happen, whereas if um, our fullbacks were sucked out, Kai Havertz and, and Mason Mount were occupying those channels between our wingbacks and, and the centre half. So I think that something I mentioned that to me, and, and it was never more evident than in this game, you could have handpicked a team from around Europe. You could have had Virgil van Dijk, Chiellini. You could have had Andy Robertson and Trent as your wing-backs and Fernandinho as your midfielders. You can go on and name. With the instructions that were given to these players, we were never going to win. It doesn't matter who they were. And that's why I can't really single out anybody, apart from maybe Pablo Mari, for having quite a poor game. Because I think that the instructions that were sent out with those players meant they were always fighting uphill battle. You take in, uh, for example, Kieran Tierney looked to be struggling that left-hand side. That is because our only attacking outlet is like a fucking five-year-old playing FIFA where it's spam the ball out to Tierney and cross into nobody that's there. You right. know? Um, and for and for once, and this is where it finished, for once I think that this was sort of the final nail in the coffin for me where I just don't think that Mikel Arteta is experienced or developed enough as a manager to be uh, guiding a team like Arsenal because at the minute we've gone out and we've signed some very, very good players and I'm not sure that he's... The, the, if, put it like this, the example I would use, would you go out and buy 20 grand's worth of wood and then hire some fucking idiot that considers himself a handyman to build your house. No, you go and you get a good carpenter that has experience doing that so that you're not wasting the money that you've already invested. So for for, for me it was uh it was just a tactical disaster class if you want to be hip and cool with the kids. I like John's idea. I mean we've signed we now have two Premier League keepers. Why why didn't we just use them both? Mm. It's a good I tactic. Mean, if back five is, I mean, if, if if everyone wanted back three, which is essentially a back five, why not go with a back six? Go with the two keepers. You can still play Saka and Emil Smith Rowe up there. I mean, this team is it's bereft of any type of creativity. So. I mean, you know, I, I even if you had to put in Ben White, I still think Lukaku 
he, he's the reason I went on to a back three is because it mitigates him just being in the game because you can essentially man mark him and keep someone close enough to him w- without losing your shape. Or you can try to. Or you can try to. But <laughs> what bothers me with Mari, and we've seen him play well, is the preseason match against Tottenham, he fell over right as they were scoring. The goal, first goal against Brentford, he fell over while they were scoring. And now on against Chelsea, he tried to manhandle Lukaku, and he fell over without scoring. So, Serge... I made a comment at our fantasy draft, and I'm still standing by it. I don't think Lukaku will have a season like he did in Italy, only because the league is different. Not saying he's not going to be dominant, but I just don't think he's going to score as many goals. And that was kind of the conversation I was having with Dustin. Um, but you, your family's from Milan. You're a huge Inter Milan fan. Like You watched him all last season. How did he get marked out of games in Serie A? Like, how, now I know how, why Mike Hers isn't on the pod because that would not have worked out very well. No, he's a huge AC Milan fan, so I told him to sit this one out. Yeah, and, <laughs> he benched him. What you have to do with Lukaku, and that's where I think you guys played Lukaku exactly how he wants teams to play him, right? Unless you, unless you sit two center-holding midfielders to deny what Kovacic and, and Jorginho and Havertz, when he dropped by, like they were just feeding him in wide open spaces. So then when he goes onto the ball, he has those people. And he did it for Inter last year with Barella and Sensi and Brozovic. And, and that's why Reese James yesterday was Hakimi for Inter Milan last year. And that's how he got all those assists and all those goals. And exactly, they, they played the system like, Tuchel played the system how Conte exactly plays it, where he has those two midfielders were Havertz and Mount that came in the middle, and then that sucked out those two wing backs, and that's why how he left Alonso and Reese James wide open. So, like I, to Pablo Mari's defense, like you to me, you can't give him the responsibility. Like you're going to hold Lukaku by yourself, and you're not going to get that much help, and that just leaves him out on an island that's and that's too much for him like if you have a Virgil van Dijk or or a bigger center back that can is higher quality and I'm no offense to him but like he's not going to do that job for you so far this season with the full preseason if you want to call it that I mean they, they ended up playing games even though they didn't go to Orlando um thank you very much but the uh, the players last year that I think kind of played above their station a little bit the ones who we said really haven't put a foot wrong. They're, they're nothing special, but we're really trusting them back there. Specifically, Mari and Chambers have been absolute dog shit to begin the season. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, you know, I'm saying these players aren't the guys that I want out there on the starting 11 every single week against top opponents, but I love having them on the squad, but they're just, they're, they're not covering themselves in glory so far to the point where we didn't see Chambers uh, at all yesterday. Uh, you'd almost like to think that Cedric starting in front of him at right back is a sign of of Arteta maybe being a little less structured and a little bit more cognizant of, of yeah, having a bad week. Yeah, so that would yeah. be a good sign. Obviously, you know, you'd like to have someone other than Cedric pull that position, but did well, you look at that as being like recognition that he that the Chambers was just just yeah, hundred percent. We, we have we have four right backs without an actual right back, right? <laughs> Because we got a dude who doesn't want to be here in Bellerin, and then Chambers is makeshift. I don't know why Chambers didn't start centrally over Mari, because Mari is has shown that he's not like. We'll see that next week. Dude's what? Th- like he's not even our third choice center back at this point. You know, um, Mari. Yeah. Or- 
I, I think Mari is the third choice center back, which is part yeah, of the I don't. But like, I like, is Gabriel hurt or has he got COVID? Gabriel's got uh, some injuries, leftovers from the Olympics. Injury. See, I think the injury that the gerbil told people about a year ago. Um, I think Louis it was Gabriel. I think it goes Gabriel White, Holding, and then Mari. That would be my like. Well, right, but without okay, so maybe he's fourth. But, but with the two of them gone, you were going to see Holding and Mari. Serge made a really, really good point there, and it was the sort of the tactical um, ineptitude of of Mikel, Arte Mikel Arteta, which, like, when we talk about playing in the back three, it isn't just safety and numbers. It's it's simply that what what Serge said. We played exactly how Lukaku wanted us to play, which was that if you can take somebody and suck them out of position and and open up spaces. That, then that's exactly what he wants. Bringing people into play, uh, play like for example, I, I'm I'm telling you now that that Timo Werner is going to flourish playing with um, a striker like like Romelu Lukaku. You know his ability to open up spaces and the difference between the two at the back and the three at the back is simply that if there is an error made, if there's mistakes made, that the distance between you and the next man to you is that small that it's easier to make up for those mistakes. And and I think that. I think to a level it, it it was arrogance from Mikel Arteta to go in to that, but not only that, the I feel like that wasn't our problem either. It's obviously I'm I'm sure you're going to touch on it, Andy, but um, our lack of creativity again. And I know that we have, I know that we have signed Martin Odegaard now, and and that he is going to bring some attacking quality to us. But for me, again, it's a it's a it's a structural thing within Mikel Arteta's system that really. Um, diminishes our attacking outlets, and and this is something I mentioned on on um, Tom's pod just there a few a few minutes ago. But I was uh, talking about Emil Smith Rowe and uh, and Bakayo Saka, and again, I wanted to say this with a pinch of salt, and please don't come at me too hard, either you boys or or other people in the chat. <clears throat> but I think that we need to realize. The pressure that we are putting on our young players, you know, Emil Smithrow, Bakayo Saka, Gabriel Martinelli, Gabriel Martinelli. If you look at these players, their st statistical output isn't that of a top echelon player for one of the top teams. It's 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 not even really that of a top, uh, you know, one of the players at the likes of John McGinn at Aston Villa in terms of statistical output. And while st statistical output doesn't mean everything you know you can have players like like um jordan henderson at liverpool who can dictate a game and yet not have much of a statistical output but you can't have 11 of them you know you can have yeah. one or two or three but when you can't have four five six of them and for me that's maybe where we need to pull the brakes on on having such high expectations of of our young players as well so what well, happened then uh in the arsenal right. locker room like the young guys that you guys have who is like the veteran that they can go to that is both on the pitch and in the locker room, like, and you guys spend like great the, most money, the most primary, like the most money in the Premier League. But like, if you guys, I think would sign that veteran. I mean, we have Oscar Laqueta. He's been there for years. I think that's I think why the teams and the Mason Mounts and the young guys that we got coming up in the Hudson Adoys, they all went to those guys and had them in their squad. I think last season it was Louise and and listen, right, like. The, Mike's laughing, but I, I look at it in two molds. I'm looking at player versus he just arrived from Chelsea, and he's the guy that our young players go to. Yeah, but I, I look at this it season. It's actually Mason Mount. <laughs> they go to Mason Mount for advice. I, no, they're actually going to Aspinall Quality, knowing that he's going to be our captain next year. 
But uh, no, I, I think, you know, you look at it versus leadership versus player. And I think David Luiz, two years, when, well, when he came to us. And then, you know, I think Xhaka, and again, He's not Arsenal's problem. I hate that he's the scapegoat, and I don't think he's good enough, but he's not the problem. But I think he's the leader they go to. But the problem, Sergeant, you pointed to it earlier. We don't have that player on the pitch who gets furious when a goal – like the first goal against Brentford that we scored, Leno was at fault because it was near post. I think I turned to you and I'm like, that's awful keeping. But the shot should never have gotten off. So whilst Leno's probably mad at himself – there's no one with balls on this team who turns around the players and bitches them out, right? Like back in the day, and I've said it before, like Tony Adams would have bitched out three players and then turned around to Seaman being like, what the fuck are you doing? That's your near post. And Seaman would have been bitching back to those players. And we don't have that at Arsenal, right? No, if everyone just holds their hand up and looks around and hopes. And there's like, oh, he was offside. Right? Well, no, the play started at the halfway line. You fucking idiots. <laughs> right. And, and you if know, you have, if you don't have that player on the field, you got to have that manager. Like exactly. And I go back to Antonio Conte, who's like, if you ever watch him on the sideline, he never shuts off and he never sat still, and he's instructing his players and yelling at them. Because Inter didn't have that last year. We had okay, we had Lukaku and Brozovic and a couple of the center backs like Skriniar, who are, and then Hamdanovic is our captain. But like, I don't see Arteta getting into your players, and I don't see like you guys having that that hard nose get into some few challenges in the beginning. I mean, that second goal, we had Alonzo and Havertz with a given goal. And it's just like, nobody's even, like Cedric didn't get, like he didn't even want a challenge. He kind of backed off a couple steps. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, that's, I mean, I loved it that it happened, but that should never happen. No, like, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. I, 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 I just, I aspire for one day to be able to have these podcasts and talk about like with incredulous, like, 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 how is it possible that Arsenal was able to do that? Like, what kind of defending was that? I mean, we, we've just never in five years had that discussion. No, Mike. And, and it will happen because I – and I, I'll recount this, right? So I remember, like, six years ago, I went to an Avs Capitals game where you guys beat us, like, 6 nothing, And I turned to my buddy who had season tickets with me and I went, someday we're going to be this good. <laughs> and now we are. So, like, it well, will – you, you haven't won the cup, but it, – but. It'll eventually happen. But, um, Serge – I'm going to jump to Conte like right away because there's a lot of people saying that if we do sack Arteta, which I don't think will happen, and we'll get to that in a minute, he's more than likely the candidate who would step in. Tell us a little bit about him because he's managed a bunch of teams you love. Mm -hmm. So, A, would you hate it if he came to Arsenal, or do you think yeah. he's that manager that Arsenal particularly need at this point? I would absolutely hate it. Yeah. Um, but is he the manager that we need at this point? And would he come here? Like, why would he come here? I guess is the question. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he would come there. I don't. I mean, he loves England. He loves London. That I know for sure. You know, not for sure. That that's what I read. Um, I know right now he's on a beach in Portofino from his Instagram. Um, I love Portofino. It is fantastic. So that's, me, that's me acting rich. But yeah, I I, th I think he'd be a, a great manager for you guys because you guys don't have that toughness or that attitude or that. Um, oh, you know, what is Arsenal known for? Like, you know, you guys don't have an identity at the moment. Like, Conte brings an immediate identity, to, and he brought it to Inner. Um, yeah, yeah, we bought Lukaku, um, and he brought him in. But he literally made Inner 50 times, like, tougher within a matter of games. And he brings his – he knows his system. And Because it looks like when you guys are buying these young players, it's not like you guys aren't trying to fix – 
this year, next year. You guys are looking to me, looking to that future. Mm-hmm. And Conte, if he comes and brings a system, he, he, you guys, the thing that I, he won't come there because he wants his club to spend money on the players he wants. He left Chelsea for it and he left Inter because now we're in financial crisis. And we were like trying to not spend money. That's it, it just doesn't seem logical that, that he would step into that role unless he believes in the players. It, it, I mean, if he believes that the, the, the team we put together is a team that he could have success with. I mean, you never see these, the, the Conte, um, you know, Jose Mourinho, although I don't believe he's as good as, as he used to be. You know, the profile of these coaches, Ancelotti, they come in to basically take a team that's gone from a four to a seven and try to turn them into a 10. They don't come into a team that used to be an eight and now is a four and is headed down even as, you know, even as much money is being pumped in. So unless he looks at our youth players that we already have and says, we're one or two actual major signings away from, from being the team that he would want to have, I don't see him coming here. And I've heard plenty of people, the usual suspects, the dossier boys uh, talking about, uh, Conte's style of, of play and, and management style not suiting this team at all based on youth profile, based on skill and, and, and you know, not playing beautiful football. And there's just this constant debate about, well, will he come here and do we, would we want him to come here? At this point, track record matters. I mean, you know, we're seeing a guy without a track record absolutely fail at this job despite all of my desire for it to not be. Um, and you know, I don't know. And I, and I've heard that the replacement, if he gets sacked is going to be another young person who isn't going to necessarily make a stink to the board about, about player signings and someone in the style of, of a Graham Potter or, or Eddie Howe, as Andy predicted three years ago. So uh, um, see, see before you crack it, I, I think it's really, really important that we establish for everybody at the minute. Okay. Everyone listening and Serge, you can play. Um, the Arsenal fan for a second. Do you sacrifice? You have nothing to worry about by doing it. No, no, but because look, do you want to know what it is? You and Andy, for all the love I have for for you, you are like my internet brothers, but you both have arses riddled with splinters from sitting on the fence for so long. Um, um, What I'm asking is right at this minute in time, do you feel that Arsenal should move on from Mikel Arteta? Yes. I think I said it a couple of weeks ago. I was, I, I was, I was him out. I do. And I have a big sign that says him out. What bothers me? You can use it again for the next coach too. What bothers me? Unless you hire a woman, you are able to use that twice in a row. That's true. What bothers me about the problem with? I just want to go back to Conte, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna get to Owen's point. What bothers me about like? People saying that we don't play like we want beautiful football. Who the fuck is playing beautiful football at Arsenal? We haven't seen that shit since Wenger left. So I don't give a fuck who the coach is. Just come in and change the system. And if you don't like, I, I don't think Arteta is going to f- get fired because we are heavily investing in young players. We haven't signed anyone this window over 25. So there's clearly a plan for Kroenke who's saying to Arteta, we're going to give you the time. And I don't believe it's Matt Law, I think, just wrote <clears throat> five games. Like five games. Matt Law doesn't know his fucking taint from his ass. Just, okay. <laughs> Fuck that. Guy. Next week. Well, there goes. I've got to rebook next week. So, yeah. Well, you know what? No, bring that fucker on. And I want to know how he got that information because he doesn't know. 
It's fucking bullshit. Are you getting right? all of your cursing from eight weeks of not podcasting in on one yeah. show? Because so, we, we got the people from the LLS watching this podcast, and, and they're going to think this is what it's all about. Fuck cancer, too? Yeah. <laughs> at least use at least use your foul mouth to uh, to some benefit. No. But no, so like so my I point, warned, I I warned them. I don't think Arteta's gonna get fired because of the way that Kroenke's investing for him to buy young. They've clearly went to them with a plan saying here's what we want to do, and they're they're doing that. Um I think that when you look at Arteta and to give him a little bit of credit, he has improved some of our players. And I think that's what they're looking at is how is he improving the players to play on the pitch. He just is tactically so void of knowing what to do. And that's where a player of, you know, Klopp, Conte, Tuchel, like they go into like when Tuchel took over Chelsea, they were kind of a shit show and he turned them around to win a Champions League. That's what a great manager does. He can walk in and go, okay, I can look at the, the 25 men in the squad and I can adjust to those 25. And he's looked at that which was a good team and just said, here's what we need to do. So I don't know, Mike, I'm, I'm Arteta out, but it's not going to happen. So I don't know why we're beating the dead horse over. Cause I, it's not going to happen. I think, Cause I think Owen wanted to hear Serge's uh, viewpoint on it was, was where the question I think was originally set. Like, like imagine you're an Arsenal supporter. Uh, I mean, you know, we've all heard the, we want you to stay. We want you to stay when the other team's coach is so, so pathetic. Um, I think we might have chanted it at Lampard a little last season, and and uh, but you know, what would you if you were in our position? Would you would it be now? Would it be if things don't turn around in a few more games, or would it be this is a process that needs a guy in charge and not constant chopping and changing? I mean, I honestly, in all honesty, I would say a few games, just given the situation of nine players being out, but literally not more than two or three games, to be honest. But like, what point of the season do you look and say? Hey, we need to qualify for Europe this year because qualifying for Europe draws in players because no players are going to go to Arsenal and say, "Hey, I'm not going to play in Europe next season," right? So, I, to me, well, but unless, unless they're like Ben White and 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 uh, Martin Odegaard with no ambition, apparently, uh, but yeah, I mean, we're not going to be able to make the big splash to you know to a player who's playing in Europe now and is going to go to a team that isn't going to play. So let me ask you this, because, you know, Chelsea obviously recycle managers more than any other team in the Premier League. And, you know, outside looking in, you're like, well, that stability kind of sucks. But then when you look at all the trophies you've won, I mean, clearly that's a system that works. Yeah. So would you would you prefer do you like the cycle of coaches that come in and out? Or would you prefer that long term coach who's, who's still successful, but stays with the club long term? It's a system that works because of the money. Let's make that clear. It's not always a system that works because of the chopping and changing. It's a system that works at a club that's owned by an Abramovich. Yeah, I was I was very upset last year when it happened with to Lampard. I mean, every time it happens, I get very upset. And within a half a year, a year, once I once I know, oh, we qualify for Europe, we qualify. Who the the fuck was that guy? Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah, This year, like, oh, we won the Champions League. Like we're playing this well. Oh, we, it's like finding change in your couch. <laughs> oh God, we won a Champions League again. But isn't it, isn't it funny? Because I mentioned this earlier. Because we were talking about Arsenal and how far away we are from the rest of the teams, and I just don't buy that at all. You know, people are so fickle at how fast the landscape of football changes. Um, like I, uh, what I was saying was that um, 
Chelsea, like you, you can sort of admit to, Serge, I'm sure, about a year ago, 18 months ago, were in a pretty dire situation. You know, you were in around where we were as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and Man United, about a year or so ago as well, were in a very similar situation to we are now. And now they're being talking about Man United and Chelsea. Chelsea, everybody's saying, it is arguably the favourites for the title this season. Um, and then you look at a team like Liverpool, who everybody's saying they'll be lucky to, to get fourth this year. And they fucking won the Champions League in the league within the last three years. And people are saying now, uh, it's going to be a five-year five five year process for Arsenal. And it's like, no, that it's just ridiculous to say that because even if you look at individual players, like Luke Shaw, everyone have fucking laughed at you a year, two years ago, if you mentioned Luke Shaw as being a very good left-back. And now he's one of the most well-renowned left-backs in Europe at the minute. You know, So the landscape changes so much. And for me, do you think that it's maybe... A bit of a defeatism, is that a word? Defeatism, I'm sure that is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a new word, fucking put it in the dictionary. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, maybe it's defeatism to turn around and just make that excuse that this is going to take longer because it suits the agenda, maybe that you're following, if you know what I mean. The process, yeah. I mean, to me, I mean, if you look at Liverpool, they gave Klopp, you know, two or three years, but they also spent every year, you know, to buy players in. You know, same with Ole Gunnar at Man U. Um, did I? I don't even. I totally forgot what the question was because I was trying to think of an answer. Um, <laughs> uh, no, what, 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 what I'm, I mean, what do I'm trying. Defeated, do I feel defeated like when Lampard got sacked last year? Yeah, yeah. What I'm, what I'm sort of trying to put across is like uh, when you look at Arsenal at the minute, do you think that there's almost like a blind, <clears throat> like a blind allegiance, a blind following towards Arteta? Like I, I'm not sure what Chelsea's like as a fan base, but the Arsenal fan base is always split. I think really ever since the Wenger in Wenger out days, and that has seemed to carry over to, to now where you've got maybe people saying that you're negative if you if you want the coach sacked. This is a process, and then you've got what. Well, I like to, to, to call toxic positivity where people are just blindly following the manager. Do you think that um, football fans as a whole, maybe now um, that there's almost a, that the following has almost become politicized with one camp against another? Yeah, absolutely. I 100%. Mm-hmm. I think like, I think Arteta gets in these situations and you guys correct me if I'm wrong. If like it was Arteta out, two or three weeks last year and then he had to run a spell and won like three or four games in a row or, or had good results where it kind of he gets in these situations to me you know from the outside because i don't follow arsenal obviously as close as you guys but like now the situation where he has nine players out it's the start of the season like we got it you know he he gets that a little bit more time like if if i was an arsenal supporter to go back to the original like i would want him out probably today because i and it, it's situational to me. Like when Sari, Maurizio Sari was at Chelsea, like I didn't like his system and I didn't like the way he was playing players in in the in the ways that he was doing it. Like he like he didn't like N'Golo Kante in the middle. Like and he tried to make him as a playmaker behind the two forwards. Like make, didn't make any fucking sense to me. He got the he got the Lucas Torreira treatment. <laughs> yeah. It's just like in those situations, I want the man. Best in the world though. Where, where I like Lampard last year is you know, he was given the youth players that came up through Chelsea, an opportunity and in the right opportunity. Now with Tuchel there, did I like his turnaround? Obviously, yes. And I think I think you guys need that for the fans. I think the board at Chelsea and, and Adu, I think is your 
sporting director or whatever the title is like he he they need to set that for arsenal and say all right we've listened to the fans we've given them what they wanted it's a change and we need to change it now is how i'm feeling yeah and and I'm you know not arsenal supporter the in the in out thing is it really comes down to two different planes of argument one is about the coach and his capabilities and whether you believe he can turn it around or not the other is more of a it's less about Arteta and and more about just do we you know start over again and by starting over you can actually leap forward i've seen you know you've seen that happen all the time with the new coach bump and and you know players who aren't playing for their manager like we saw when jose was sacked and what's his name was brought in at chelsea and you went from 10th to you know to to league champions in one year um you know we see that happen but for me, the only – I mean, Arteta doesn't seem capable of, of pulling out of this, but I also just dress definitely and desperately want him to. Yeah. So I'm not Arteta out because I think that Arteta is the, the best man to lead us forward. It's just because I just really want things to, to line back up, and I don't want to be holding this sandwich board or wearing the sandwich board or the sign that's just that's just calling for – you know for for some guy to lose his job. I mean, that that's a weak argument. It, it, you can call me a fence sitter if you want. I, I've been that. You can call me, you know, toxically positive, or you can call me any of a number of body parts that aren't pleasant to be called. Um, I just wish that th- we weren't in the situation, and so it makes it hard for me to just call for the guy's head. But things are not trending in the right direction. And, and trust me, at some point, just as I was right before we played Chelsea on Boxing Day last year, I will reach that tipping point where I'm ready to, you know, to ready for change to happen, not fearful of what lies behind it. And, and I'm getting darn close again. But but the, the, the change is impossible to win at the beginning of the season, though. The change isn't coming, though, because you wouldn't you wouldn't invest 125 million pounds in such young players and then turn around to a Conte, for example, and be like, well, no, we're not giving you 125 million pounds because we we've just already spent the players. And if the Cronkies really were invested in winning now, they would have invested that 125 a lot differently. They would have put maybe 50 million into Ben White. I don't know, but you would throw way more money into different areas of the pitch. Now, I will say Lakonga has been pretty fucking impressive in the three or four games I've seen him play as a central midfielder. He does look like that player we've been missing. And I think when party comes back, he probably partners with him, and Jaka gets moved to the bench. I don't know. He's really having kind of the mirror image to what went to Guendouzi's career as it started here, where where he was bought for the future, and he and he just was stuck in right away and impressed, right. now, and then kind of leveled off and regressed a little bit and turned into a jackass. Yeah, but I will say, like as much as I don't want Arteta as our manager, I don't know who is better going to manage the Cronky project than him, because that's a long-term project. And for as much as I hate KSE and their involvement in Arsenal, my biggest hatred over that is the fact that when any manager of Chelsea goes to Abramovich and says, I want to buy this player, he knows exactly who that player is because he's embedded into football and its culture. At least that's the way it appears. Serge, correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you go to Kroenke and say, I'm going to go buy Lukaku for a hundred million pounds there's a why is he so much? Well, who is this guy? Tell me about him. Where Obramovich was probably like, yeah, go fucking get him. He's 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 just lights out one of the best strikers in the world right now. And that's my biggest issue with Kroenke is they don't know the market. And whilst you're putting that pressure on 
Edu and Arteta to have that, your owner needs to be there as well to turn around and go, Pepe for 76 million pounds? This just doesn't seem realistic or good because Yeah, Raul, how many of how much how much of that goes to you again? 30 yeah. million? Okay. Um the, uh, here's a question. Uh, speaking with the Cronkies and how long this is going to be, I mean, you, 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 I think you're right in that they're building a team and an age profile and a contract profile, meaning you know how long we have some of these guys tied down for, and finally getting out of the the, the wages. And, I mean, hopefully getting rid of Willian and the people that we've already gotten rid of. You, I'd, I'd have to agree that that's set up to make us really, really competitive two years from now, not now. But how many more years, going on our sixth now or seventh, of not having Champions League or even Europa League money, do you think that they have budgeted into this project? Because it, you know, if they're really not building, if this is them not building for this year to be f- top four, but to be top four next year or the year after, I mean, then our financials are going to look horrendous again for even well, the fans we're- coming back. Mm-hmm. I mean, will they though? Because we're shedding a lot of the the players who make top earnings, right? I mean, the, the we're bringing in the younger players. So I think honestly, their financial model is shifting more to how do we stay even with just Premier League revenue rather than the European. And and I think that means you shed like we've just seen reports. Williams probably on his way out to to Brazil. I don't know if you saw that surge. But uh, it looks like he's going to go to – is it Corinthians? Is that what I read? Yeah, it's Corinthians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, that, I don't know, Mike. You're more of the financial guy, but that's the way I look at it is they're bringing in these younger players on smaller contracts. We've shed so much money the last year. And that's another thing, too, we got to think about. Arteta's job is getting rid of a lot of this dead weight, which has been really hard to do. Well, guess what's going to happen in – I don't know if it's one year or two years, certainly within the next three years – I think, and chat, correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not looking this up right now. Uh, Emirates is going to have a, a stadium deal to renegotiate, um, and probably a you know a, a shirt sponsor deal, and Adidas is going to be coming up for renewal, and all of those things. And you know, are you going to get top four money like we have in the past for those things when we've been eighth yeah. four seasons in a row by that point? We- Will be JC Penny Stadium sponsored by Joma. <laughs> the- I think Gooners versus Cancer might actually be able to sponsor the uh, the team. I don't, I don't think we have heard Owen's uh, response to is he Arteta in or Arteta out. Oh, because he's out, 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 out. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. No, <clears throat> not gonna. I've stated before. I like him as as a person. He seems really, really likable. He came in with. A set of out set of values that I think the club definitely needed. It's just that I think at this moment in time, is he um, <clears throat> cultured enough as a manager? I don't doubt that he's a very good coach, um, but as a manager, I'm just not sure he's up to the level um, that we need. And and you, you think of the names that a lot of people throw, throw about Antonio Conte, um, Rafa Benitez. Some people suggesting as well Roberto Roberto Mancini, all experienced hands who I still think would struggle with this job and I just don't think that Mikel Arteta is suited but the the analogy that I used earlier on was that now I don't blame Arteta at this point in time now I blame 
KSE and, and the board because the analogy I used was that if I hired a, a painter and decorator to come into my house and do every room in the house and after the first room he made an absolute balls of the first room and I turned around to him and said that's fine mate keep going who's fault it if the whole house turns out to shit Sir, are, you, are you noticing a trend with his analogies oh, like, yeah. Like, yeah, they're, they're all like construction based yeah, home I'm a man's analogy. man I'm yeah. a fucking man's man okay? I, I, whereas Andy's like if if my pedicurist comes in and the first two toes she does fall <laughs> off am I going to allow her to do the following eight no, yeah dude listen, the following seven in your case I hope that didn't like Owen, I, Owen talking all big and shit I, you know what I bet that motherfucker takes three months for an Ikea cabinet together <laughs> That pool table took like eight months to, to show up behind him. Yeah. So uh, real fast before we get on to the Gunners versus Cancer thing, um, I've been I, I said it for weeks. You fuckers didn't listen. I said Madison was a smokescreen all along for Odegaard. I got ridiculed by the. I said he was a smoke show, but well, he is a smoke show too. But uh, the dossier boys told me I didn't know what I was talking about. And Wayne was so far up the bell's ass, he could speak out of his mouth. And he, here we are with, with confirmation that we never even put in a bid for him. We didn't even knock on the door. Well, it's confirmation from Les, from Brendan Rogers, who yes. you know has been known to, to say things because for his own benefit. So take that with a grain of salt. But the bell in the mud is never a problem for me. <laughs> Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. What do you guys? What do you guys? All right. When are you guys predicting Arteta going to be out? <laughs> Let's get back to that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I can't uh, drop this. I just. I. I, I, I think. <laughs> I think he could. Well, I think he should be. If we. I mean, the the game against Spurs on the twenty sixth of September. Is massive because we will. Now let's let's just go and assume that we don't get anything out of the game at Etihad next weekend. Um. Uh, let's say maybe we, let's say we even get through the second round of the league cup, which we've never had to play in before in the last 20 years. But if we're in the premier league and I think that would be our sixth game. If we come out of that on three points, which is very possible four points, maybe even six points. If we beat the two teams that we should beat, but we don't get anything against Tottenham at home. I think he's got to go at that moment. I think you have to sack a coach who has a poor start or as Owen says, a per start and loses to Tottenham at home. Mm -hmm. that, that's when he should go. If it's just kind of mediocre and we get a point, we get a couple more points, then I probably think it'll go until November uh, or until he's lost the dressing room, which I worry is starting to happen. I the, have the, a feeling that he will no get courage, fired like, oh, yeah, no, the no, day no. after Patrick Vieira gets fired from Palace because <laughs> then – we can turn around and hire Vieira as our new manager, and the cycle starts again. And they, and they get relegated. However, it's going to be really hard for – well, most of the fans don't know who Patrick Vieira is because they all came with Ozil. So <laughs> <laughs> That's not most of the fans. That's just 80% of the internet fan base. Uh, Serge, to answer your question, I would Which say eighty percent of our on for at least two more seasons. Owen, <laughs> two more seasons. I, I, I don't. Kronk, that's not Kronk, his. That's not his desire. That's what Kronk is not going to so, fire me. It's not my desire. Trust me. So if I could fire him tomorrow, I would. But so it's not one what the season in the Premier League and one season in Championship. <laughs> the Kroenke, like Josh, only knows we lost on Saturday because he was there to see it. 
Mm-hmm. Otherwise, he would have been clueless the season had even started. I don't think he's called his dad yet to tell him because he's, he's, he's like, dad, embarrassed. Here. Just be excited. Still preseason, dad. Don't worry about it. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, here, here's a bit of a caveat to that question. When do I think he'll be sacked? Um, I would say before Christmas. Um, but a question. But that I would have, be kind of short sighted because after Christmas, he's like the second best manager in the Premier League. Why would you fire him right before the good part? Here's a bit. Here's a bit. Oh, and please be please. respectful and, of our Jewish member and not just just oh, say sorry, Christmas. Hanukkah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, sorry, Mike. I'm, ready. I'm, I'm, I'm feverishly looking up when Hanukkah is this year because it might be the same time. <laughs> the big yeah, thing um, in Italy when they start this, the Serie A season and they know a coach is not going to last long, they always say, and I'll say it in Italian, "Non si mangia la panettone." That means he's not going to eat the panettone because the panettone is the Christmas dessert. Oh, I can I, I can barely speak English, Serge. I'm not gonna <laughs> can you say that again, but, but use pantalones instead of pantalones? <laughs> no, the question I was going to ask you is: see, 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 in modern day football, right? When when a manager comes under such scrutiny, like for example, Mikel Arteta is now, is it salvage, salvageable? Is he able to pull it back in, or is it a case of? It doesn't matter what he does now. The next heavy defeat or the next two or three bad results in a row that the fans just say, "Oh, fuck this guy! Let's we need to get him out." Is you know we've got quite a um, a, a culture now in twenty twenty one where where once people have this idea, they really stick to it and they sort of don't hold back until until they see it out. Do you think that he'll be able to pull it back at any stage of his career? Anyone, Michael? No, no, uh, no. I, sorry, I was looking up Vegas odds to see the who, who's the first manager to get sacked. Oh, he, he's he, Arteta. He is Arteta's the odds on favor, yeah. but, but the good thing for us though is in third spot's Patrick Vieira. So like you know, <laughs> our new manager is going to come in real fucking quick after. Yeah, the, car- the carousel is going to happen. You guys can continue the Arsenal Chelsea thing. You can get, go after maybe Lampard or I mean Terry. I think he just got done in at Villa. Uh, I know they get, they won't do it for sure. I'd rather have who was it? Um, uh, who was he? Uh, Avram Grant. <laughs> bring back Yossi Benayoun, stack Arteta on Hanukkah, and bring those two guys in. And you and you've got my you you've, you've renewed my allegiance for another thirty years if you do that. Yeah, I just I mean, I think Arteta's he has to be gone in the next few weeks. Like, not that I. I really don't. I hope he stays next five. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't? Yeah. You? Um, yeah. Hanukkah does start very early this year, so if Arteta's holding on until Hanukkah, he's he's got to make. Dude, uh, you're gonna celebrate Thanksgiving and Hanukkah at the same time. There was there was a time because, and I won't get into how the calendar works because it, it's it's based like on a lunar calendar, and I think it works the same with with Islamic holidays. But um, but yeah, Hanukkah was so early one night; it was actually on Thanksgiving, like the first night of. Hanukkah was actually was was the first was the same night as Thanksgiving, which was, it, it you know didn't really affect me because I don't give a shit. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. So anyway, it's a November Hanukkah this season this year. So uh, so everybody get your presents for me early, and uh, and thank you. We did have a question from uh, from Mark up in Green Bay, uh, who asked a very good question, which is. <laughs> A question I can't believe we're asking. How crucial is it for Arteta to win in the League Cup second round game on Wednesday? Now, the second round was always the one like I would look at and say, oh, which which which, 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 
which Premier League teams play each other or or could possibly lose and not even be in the in the cup by the time we get in. Now we're in that round, and instead of getting the Rochdales and the Sutton Uniteds of the world, even though they lost, uh, we're end, we got West Brom, which is like essentially a, a Premier League team, um, kind of. And but they're not. But they're not. I know, but they're like you know, they were, <laughs> and, that, and they're kind of. But but they're not though. They're like we're in the top twenty-five. Okay, but if we lose this game, and and it's like panic stations, and and we've got we've got. And I think we talked about this a little bit on the open mic pod yesterday, although I had many a beer. Um, you know, do we go with a full strength lineup or do you start to see a lot of U23s for that game? Because we got City on Sunday, Saturday. No, oh. the, league, the, the league has to be a complete priority. I know that it will sort of start a cascade of bombardment towards Mikel Arteta. Um, uh, about his, his job, him being stripped of his job, but. Uh, Look, for me, is West Brom going to put out the full side? Maybe. I'm not sure. Do we have it within our reserves to beat West Brom with the second-string team? You'd like to think so for a club the size of Arsenal. Um, that we would, you know, the only thing that could maybe play into it is the absentees. We still have three injuries and, and COVID and stuff like that could maybe cause a bit of a stir. But, man, it's it, it's really difficult to look and, and see where the next win is coming from because, as you said, the natural sort of thing that you would say is that we're going to rest all our, our senior players, really, and, and put out the reserve team, if you like, towards to face West Brom in this cup game. But, but if he loses that and then goes in and loses the City, and then is it Norwich after that? After the international break, yeah. Yeah. After the international break, the closure of the of the transfer window, then it's Norwich. We are coming, even coming back off the international break after that Norwich game. I wouldn't be at all surprised to see us sitting bottom of the league with no goals scored. Like it really, it wouldn't be a surprise to me whatsoever. Like not one bit. And and for me, looking and I suppose this is to the credit of the Premier League as a whole and how competitive it is top to bottom at the minute. But I look and there isn't an easy game. There's no easy games. Gone are the days where it was uh, Arsenal, United, Chelsea, and Liverpool just holding that top four spot and just blitzing every other team in the league. Those days are gone. It's so competitive top to bottom. You know, you even look at the quality of Brentford like on the ball possession their their ability to pass and move is just brilliant and at the minute we just lack everything that you need to get a victory at the minute and and the most fundamental thing in football is that you win games by hitting the back of the net and we just aren't hitting the back of the net and we haven't been hitting the back of the net in pre-season and for me looking on it doesn't seem like Mikel Arteta has come up with a, re- um, a resolution to rectify that problem at all so it's just not looking good. <laughs> he got to me. He got everything wrong yesterday. Like you should, I mean, look at Chelsea and say, okay, how have they got beaten in the past? Right? You don't let Jorginho and Kovacic on the ball and have, let him pass through every single line. You don't give Lukaku an open back to the goal and just feeding it off to the wings. You know, you got to find Alonso on the wing and you got to put him under pressure and you got to have Saka and you got to have. Um, Pepe. How much would it take to hire you as a consultant at Arsenal, like to come in and be like, because just I mean, just the Chelsea game, I could be like, all right, like, and this is just me thinking, like, I don't know shit. I'm just like looking at Chelsea and like, this is how you beat them. Like, you know, you you run behind Rudiger and Christensen because they're not that fast. Like, you 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 exploit them in their spots, and but 
Arsenal just gave Chelsea every single way to win that game. And then after those two goals, like it was just like a cakewalk for us, even though you guys played better in the second half and had a couple chances and Leno made a great save. And one thing I want to, one thing I want to ask, and, and I want your opinion on it, Serge, especially um, 37th minute. I think it was uh, Saka goes down in the box penalty or not penalty. I, it, it, it to me, it wasn't a penalty. I, I know I've had a very long hour conversation with my friend Carlo yesterday at the pub after the game was over because they showed it a few times. Like to me, that's it's it. I wouldn't be if it was given a penalty. I'd be kind of upset about it, but not like okay. Because to me, I, I didn't see if you're going to give that, you're going to give any contact in the in the in the box that fall over. And to me, it was more of Saka's leg interchange with Reese James's leg, and he kind of and that kind of made him fall. And he was kind of moving to the to the right of him instead of going across from Reese James. Yeah, I may be going off of an obsolete definition uh, of penalties, and I'm and I don't mean that sarcastically. I mean I know that they've they've given guidance to the referees, um, and maybe that was reflective in them not calling that a penalty. But I think, I mean, based on what we've seen the last few years, that I thought that was a nailed on penalty. And See, was, it, 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 after VAR, they didn't call it, other than the fact that. VAR knew who the team was that would have benefited from it, and, and therefore, you know. But you know. see, there has been, I think, an, an active effort from the officials this year to bring physicality back into the league. Uh, um, because we can all admit as well that in, in years past, especially over maybe the last two seasons, that it's been ridiculous that what penalties have been given for, like micro touches. But for me, even in years past, that it, it's not a penalty. Saka. I think clearly initiates the contact. He's the one who I think he was looking for the contact. I think he saw an opportunity and, and while there was a coming together, it was Saka that initiated it. So for me, it was, it, it was just blatantly, it blatantly wasn't the penalty. And um, for me, I, I think it's absolutely brilliant that the club are, are taking in, or sorry, that the, the Premier League are, are trying to promote physicality back into the league. Because we even seen it yesterday with <coughs> Granit Xhaka, Wins a lot of free kicks doing it, but uh, as a football fan, looking on, it doesn't matter if it's my own team. I just don't like it. Is he looks for contact on his back and he drops and holds the ball, and and he'd done that for the first time yesterday, and the referee blew it up and gave a free kick for the handball, and the Chelsea gave a free kick to Chelsea. So yeah. <clears throat> I'm loving this physicality coming back into the league and the Chelsea. Let's, let, let's hope it goes the other way though, because I mean the first time, well, yeah, Andy. Well, that's what I was about to say. Like the, the only problem I have with it is another referee on another game will call that a penalty. And so the consistency across the league is where I have the issue. And we've seen it with VAR in the in the past where like, you know, early kickoff, there'll be a foul. And then in the evening match, the same foul occurs and there's two different calls. And it's like, no, there, there needs to be a consistency. And I've said it all along. Like there needs to be one official who checks all the VAR matches for that weekend. So they know like, Oh, in the Southampton Arsenal game, this just happened in the Chelsea main United game. We got to call it the same way. So I thought it was a penalty at first when you go into slow motion, it didn't look that way. But my problem is the consistency across the league is we'll see something this weekend where we can all go back to it, including surges at Chelsea sporting. Well, hold on a second. That was the same thing. And there, and it, it will be called a penalty. Right. So I, that's what I want is the consistency. But I agree with Owen. Like, bring back the physicality because that's what's bothered me the most. These players are fucking sissies. 
Yeah. Well, so, all right. So just quick summary there. Andy and I, it was a penalty, proper Arsenal. Serge and Owen, no penalty, and obviously not Arsenal supporters. There's a theme. No, there's a theme again. Manly man. Yeah. Too. I'm soft. Let me let me like if the referees had a big block of, of of wood and stone and they hired somebody to build a fireplace. <laughs> yeah, no, let me break it down for you, Mike. Andy and Mike think it's a penalty because we're Arsenal. Serge doesn't think it's a penalty because he's Chelsea. Owen just wants to pretend he can build a house. <laughs> That's where we're at. There's zero chance Owen had anything to do with putting those pictures up behind him. <laughs> yeah. because, they're, because they're perfectly alive. Let's hear who really put those photos up. He hired someone. They started with three. They were shit. He sacked that person and hired somebody else to pick it up. It isn't. Them. No, I got my uncle to do it, and it's because I'm like vertically challenged to stand it a little bit of it. So my <laughs> vertically challenged is what what most is that what an Irish person is called now? Vertically yeah. challenged. And all yeah, well, too. I don't know. What I'm all right, so the the title of this podcast is is uh, is a unique one. It's it's called Arsenal, the greatest charity of all, I believe, or something like that. But um, the reason that we work charity in there is not only because we can be charitable to everyone else in the in in the Premier League, but because uh, we're right in the middle of our Gunners versus Cancer campaign. And if you joined us last year when Serge was on, also right at the beginning of the season, uh, you you would have learned Serge's story, which is a I mean. It, it's a currently phenomenal one, um, and uh, it's an inspiring one, and one that obviously is is really really close to my heart. And I really thank Andy for introducing me to Serge, um, because you know as I've gotten to know you, you're a class guy doing class things, and and I and I'm really trying to I'm inspired by and trying to pattern kind of my actions and and those of the one the people like Andy and Owen and so many more that are helping me. But um, but you are. Uh, very, very involved in the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Yep. And uh, if you would, just kind of tell everyone in, the, in chat kind of, you know, your story, your background, how you became involved. Yeah, yeah. So um, 2016, I was diagnosed with stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so it was, it's like everything that you hear about is, you know, 12 rounds of chemotherapy and it was absolutely awful and it was life-changing and all that kind of stuff. So that let alone that and you're 37 at the time right like like yeah yeah 37 completely healthy playing in two football leagues playing basketball and i just you know suddenly it it, it just turned on a dime like and it's it, it's a disease that i you know i mean i asked 100 questions like what led to me getting this cancer because there's other cancers like if i smoked a lot and i got lung cancer obviously that makes sense or um, if I got liver cancer, cause I'm an alcoholic for 35 years and all that kind of things. But this is a disease that oh, shit. just, just <laughs> springs on people. Like it's just, and you know, it's, it's very popular in the younger ages. And that's why, you know, LLS is just an amazing organization that they do a, a lot with children and just finding a cure for this disease. And not only finding cures, it's just finding treatments and helping, you know, patients and get through everything that's difficult about being you know, from the beginning of hearing the word, I have cancer or you have cancer and LLS is there from step one. And so, um, and that's really something I wanted to, to expand on because, you know, everyone thinks, and, and we, we raise money for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. That's what Gunners versus Cancer is. We, we, it's a direct conduit to donating directly to the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. We don't, we don't take donations and then donate them 
or take profit and then donate them or take expenses. We, you're donating directly to the cause. And, you know, we all assume that charities like, you know, Susan B. Komen for breast cancer and, and Leukemia Lymphoma Society for blood cancers are just pouring all that money into research to try to cure the disease. And they are, but a substantial amount of their work and their effort goes to supporting families. And, and that's, you know, when my, when my father was ill, uh, we weren't really touched by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We didn't know anything about it. We, you know, we were so focused on his treatment and, and, and kind of the hospice and end of life stuff that we dealt with. But, you know, tell us how they really make a difference for those, you know, while you're living and, and while your, your loved ones are dealing with it, because, you know, unfortunately that's a situation that a lot of people find themselves in. Yeah. And, and like I was saying before, like it just, it comes in, it just comes on a dime where you just diagnose and you're given that, that diagnosis. And you're like, you have so many questions, like, where did this come from? How do I deal with this? And the thing that I used immediately LLS was as a resource center and they're just amazing either fighting. And I was, I'm blessed enough to have a family and friends like Andy and everybody has that support group, but not everybody in the entire world has a support group that they can go to immediately. So LLS is that support group that you can, they get, they have forums, they have chats, they have emails, any way you want to interact with them to use them as a support system is amazing. And they work directly with whatever hospital you're dealing with. Like I, you know, I, the Freighter Medical Hospital here in Wisconsin, they work directly and very close with LLS. And it's just, it, it's, it's life-changing. It's, it's, I should better say it's life-saving at that moment for, for many people and children, especially, you know, they, you know, children, you know, they're just starting their life and they're just getting to know how life is. And LLS is there to, you know, provide them gifts and support and entertainment and that kind of stuff. And, and, and just a way out. And they're just, and un, they're unbelievable. And, and just like you said, Mike, you do, you directly go, you donate to LLS and they use 100% of the, the money that they get towards everything that they do. It's not one of those that's like, Hey, we use half of it for this and 50% for that or 20% for that. It's just, I, I can't say enough about LLS. And that's why last year I got involved and I don't know if Mike, you want me to touch on. No, I'd love, because you, you have, you have done some amazing things and, and has been noticed. And, and believe me, I strive, I'm striving for the same thing, not for the recognition, but, but just because it would mean that we've really accomplished something, but please, you know, Serge is man of the year. So let's, let's talk about it. Yeah. So um, my, one of my friends, Nick was involved in kind of fundraising and for the LLS man of the year campaign. So every year they, they donate in each big metropolitan city in the United States and say, hey, we're going to have a man and woman of the year contest where they you get nominated, like five women, five men, um, and they try to raise as much money as possible. And the winner gets crowned man or woman of the year. Um, and so two years ago or three years ago, one of my friends said, hey, Serge, we know your story. Would you want to come to the LLS banquet that we have each year for that? And so I went to his banquet the event was amazing. They raised all this money. By the time I left there and I told people my story, I had 15 people nominate me. And LLS was on the spot where like, yeah, you're man, of, you're going to get you're one of the five spots to be man of the year next year. I'm like, okay. And so I did gracefully said yes right away. And then last year was the start of the campaign. Literally a week before COVID started raining terror on this entire earth. And then it was like, okay, how are we going to do this? Um, but 
with the campaign and with my support group and the friends and the hard work and just telling everybody how much LS means and how much we, we need to, you know, keep this momentum going and every single dollar helps, whether it's, you know, $1 a week or, you know, I, a lot of people donate and I luckily was Milwaukee man of the year and we collectively raised in an eight week period. I mean, over $69,000, I think it was. That's fantastic. Man. Yeah. That, that's unbelievable. And, and what a great number too. Um, but uh, Andy, what have you, have you ever been anything of the year before? Yeah, I have a mug um, from our mutual friend Ryan Wickens, and it says "Dad of the Year," and it's got that guy from all the memes that went around at uh, during COVID, the big uh, black dude. The, so, <laughs> I got, so I got that, Serge. I, I know last time we talked about <laughs> your cancer. Sorry to laugh while I'm asking you this. <clears throat> but Remember they, when you had cancer? No, I'm just <laughs> um, you had mentioned they pushed back your remission. Is that correct? Yeah. So, so um, when, when it, are you, are you in remission now? Or are you still waiting for that, that line? No, I'm in remission, but to have the full diagnosis of remission, that's going to happen hopefully Thursday morning. I have a, oh, this Thursday. yeah. So, it, yeah. So hopefully I'll see my oncologist for the last time ever in my life. Um, oh man, that is amazing. Well, I had no idea it was that imminent on Thursday. Yeah. You're going to go out and like, drink smoke do you know, like do drugs and like, like just no. just, just, just one day just to, yeah. no i'm, just, I'm kidding <laughs> are you gonna go to um to texas joe's <laughs> no i'm not gonna go to the strip club you guys thoroughly <laughs> dude let me just say like someone serge disappeared at the bachelor party we were at for him and someone said he went to texas joe's which is the worst strip club in the world so everyone's like why did he go there okay let's go it Why was, did we go there? Okay, let's go. It was awful. <laughs> yeah, it, I knew what you guys were getting into. And even at my own bachelor party, I said, no, I'm going to go to a local bar and just smoke a cigar and have more alcohol instead of paying ugly women to dance on top of me. <laughs> Oh, this is this is going in a, in a we're, we, go from, we go from inspiration and cancer to misogyny. <laughs> But yeah, um, yes, this Thursday. Let's get let's bring it back. So this Thursday, yeah, eight a.m. Hopefully, it's the last appointment I'll ever have at a cancer center hospital. And and LLS is, you know, I I know you guys said it a lot, but everybody that needs everybody just hopefully donates as much as they possibly can, and um, it it means a lot to people like me because I'm never going to stop. I I just I have a meeting in a few weeks to be somewhere on their you know, executive board to help them out in, in ways that I just describe my story and tell people to donate. And, and for the rest of my life, I'm going to be a part of LLS because, you know, they, they save lives and it means a lot. Well, I, I am, you know, inspired by by your story. And, and while I, you know, while I hope to be lucky enough not to have to share the reason for your inspiration, I mean, mine comes through family, of course. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I am, I, I guess, a few years behind your track in, in, in the fundraising thing. And we are, we're growing every year. It's been fantastic. Uh, and, I, and, and in fact, this morning when I woke up, I got a, a pretty interesting, neat piece of news and I'm going to share it with everybody. If you haven't seen it on our socials, but, uh, uh, but Gooners versus cancer has been officially di uh, diagnosed, uh, nominated <laughs> for the, uh, for the football content awards, uh, best charitable content or best charitable campaign award. Now the, the FCAs is something that uh, Andy was at our second season. We were nominated 
as best football podcast, and we were like one of the ten finalists, which was an absolute joke. Um, uh, but, yeah. And we said we finished second, but it's only because we know that we didn't win, and we just assume that we must have finished second. I think so Elliot. We know that we were in like the top what five. We were in the top five, uh, and so we we just went for you know for number one. Uh, we didn't get it. We got number two instead. But but the, but the the opening of this actually really allows us to to promote something that is not self serving, like promoting our podcast is, but promote the 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 charity. So there's uh, a bunch of different ways to vote. Voting is open for the next three weeks until the twelfth of September, and um, and this doesn't let me like format very well. But if you but we've made it as easy as we can for you to vote. If you have a Twitter account, just go to votegvctweet.com. If you have Instagram, go to votegvcinsta.com and you tag us uh, at Gunners v. Cancer in the, in the comments. And then if you just want to use the internet, you can go to footballcontentawards.com forward slash voting and find the, uh, the category and nominate us. A bunch of our, uh, our great friends in, in podcasting and otherwise are up for awards. I think the Gunner Talks up for best club content. Um, Arsenal Vision and Elliot are up for best podcast, so you know, put throw votes their way as well for sure. Uh, but please also follow us on at Gooners V Cancer uh, on Twitter and on Instagram, and we'll be having more announcements. But the more so than just getting an award uh, would be the the publicity at a very important time for us at Gooners versus Cancer because we are right in the middle of our final push. For the Gunner raffle. So if you go to GoonersVCancer.com, you'll see instructions on how to vote. And within a few days, we'll have all the, the raffle prizes. They're really stacking up to be as great as they were last year, if not better. Um, and uh, there's a lot of cool stuff that you can still win and help us reach our goal of 25,000 to uh, to beat last year's 21,000. So Serge, what, what size t-shirt are you? A large. Large. Let's get him one of these Gunas versus Cancer T-shirts. Yeah, absolutely. You because he'll have to wear it, and it's gonna say Gunas on it. Oh, uh, that's what you want to do. Well, will you wear it? <laughs> I'll wear it to work out, or I can just. That, hey, that's enough. That's fine. Even if you use it to clean something with it, it's yeah. still yeah. being used. Yeah. yeah, we'll 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 get back you one of those. And back and, uh, and and frankly, we. I mean, I, I also want to say thank you for your support because you have. Uh, you know, ever since you've known about it, you've been a donor as well as as a big supporter of it, and and uh, and so again, we we appreciate you coming on, sharing your story, and and uh, and your top football knowledge. You you you're cuckolding all of us, both footballistically and with your poise and knowledge about uh, about the game. Uh, we're just runners up in every category to you at this point. But yeah, now, starting, uh, I'm starting to feel bad for all my Arsenal friends. Like, <laughs> like watching that second half with my. Best man Carlo, who is an Arsenal supporter, like a couple of times, I'm like, oh, that wasn't that bad. Yeah, like like feeling sorry, it, and and we don't want that necessarily. <laughs> I appreciate it, but like that's even that's like rubbing our our face. I mean, and I'm not saying for you. It's just we were at the. I mean, our pub shares a home stat home base status with Chelsea supporters, so it was, you know, fifty fifty in supporters yesterday. But they were just not even. They were like nice. They weren't giving us crap anymore. And that's when you know that it, we're just not rivals anymore. Like, it was as though we had showed up to support Crystal Palace and they gave us a beating and they were just like, well, they're suffering enough. We're not going give it, to give it large to them anywhere. So uh, thanks to everyone also in the chat. Uh, the names I'm seeing on here have almost almost all donated to the, to, uh, 
Dreamers versus Cancer played a part in some way, shape, or form already. So, uh, so again, we appreciate your support. We couldn't do it without you guys. And uh, and uh, and so that's that. And and as has been said a lot on social media lately, uh, when Arsenal's going like this, you kind of have to you kind of have to bury your focus and your mental and, and emotional energy into the positives and the positives are that we're trying to do good things. We have uh, friendships and, and established relationships all over the world. And if they're, you know, if there's nothing else to be happy about relating to Arsenal, let's at least be happy about that. And I'm coming over, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Owen's coming to visit Andy. Uh, we go, we go. Can I just make a prediction uh, about our visit? Yeah. Uh, yes. Mike, you've been drawn into a couple trips this year based off of COVID. I know that something's going to happen where you're not going to be able to get back. And Thank I hope you, uh, so you just want to be on the record saying, I told you so. I'm no, no, no. I'm just saying you have the worst luck imaginable. And I'm just telling you now to set your expectations, ride the wave of low expectations. So when you so you're not saying I'm not going to be able to go, you're saying I'm not going to be able to come back. I'm not, not saying you're going to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've got a spare room. You can look after my daughter when we're at work, and you can, you know. We'll, oh, oh, and you have to build we'll, that room right now for him to stay in it. <laughs> this is a great yeah, idea. He can sleep here. He can sleep on the pool table. Well, if I paid someone to start building that room and they screwed it up halfway through, then you know. <laughs> John uh, John Smith uh, Smith also putting in something which I wanted to make sure to publicize as well. John uh, has Smith. Very recent, very uh, very good friend of the podcast um, was at the Chelsea game, shared that with us yesterday. He says, when you come to the UK in October, my charity team at NSK underscore Dons, a.k.a. the Donuts, will be up for a fundraising match against the GVC team. Um, they raise funded funds, I believe, if and, and I'm sorry if I get this wrong, but they're, they're, they're helping to raise funds to get defibrillators um, in locations like schools and, and football pitches and stuff. And, and again, John, correct me if I don't have that exactly right. Uh, but that's a charity that's been important to John for, for some time. And, you know, there's room for multiple charities. Arsenal Vision is doing a charity uh, fundraiser soon for the Arsenal Foundation, and we'll be talking about that. They've been huge supporters of ours. We want to we wanna return the favor as well. So, um, you know, besides Arsenal being the greatest charitable organization of all, uh, there are many others that are great to support, and it is Smythe. Sorry about that. Um I asked him yesterday, and I don't remember the answer because I was at the pub. Anything else anyone wants to uh, to get to before we go? No. no Thanks, no. Serge. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, pl pleasure to meet you, Serge. And I don't know whether this is a, a Catholic thing or an Irish thing, but um, we've got a tradition over here where um, old women light candles for people. Um, and I'll get my mom to light a candle for you on Thursday, mate. I hope oh, all goes well. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> no worries at all, Yeah, you guys, you guys are great. I mean... No, if she lights the candle, if she lights the candle and it burns down the house, do you sack her and and bring in a new aunt, <laughs> or do you wait five or six weeks? Uh, I thought it was going to be another building analogy. It's a good analogy. Leave me. It, alone. Was, it kind of was. He's got to go build the church to put the candle in. <laughs> Andy, uh, uh, where can we find you besides uh, Wales? Apparently, where Wrexham is located. Oh yeah, that's my new team now. You're supporting the same team, I believe, that Mike Dean supports. Wasn't that Rexham? I don't know. No, that's Rectum. You're thinking. <laughs> hey, hey, Serge. Rectum, Mike, I know you're catching up on it, so I won't spoiler. But Serge, you've you're caught up on Ted Lasso, right? Yes. So you got the Rexham uh, 
you saw the Wrexham um, part of the show. The like last week's show? Yeah. It's no 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 Mike, stop, stop. So it doesn't ruin anything, but did you catch the Wrexham reference in there? Mm-mm. So like they made like they made a comment about how they were they got a bid from Wrexham, but because it came from Ryan Ryan Reynolds, like and they didn't know if it was a joke or not, right? So Reynolds responded on Instagram to Apple Plus being like, um, like it was really funny, but he's basically like, you have a cease and desist letter unless you send me a box of those cookies that everyone keeps eating. <laughs> but it was really, really well done. And obviously the guy who bought Raxon with him has those Mythic Quest shows on Apple Plus. Got so it. I'm sure oh, they from Always uh, Sunny. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, it was pretty, it, it was pretty good. I thought you were going to spoil it there and tell me that Bruce Willis dies at the end of success. Oh, and Ted Lasso's dad died in a car accident. So. Oh, see, I knew, I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> All right, and Owen, uh, where, what, where are you building something? Uh, in, in, you know, where we can come see it near us. Oh, and and you are coming. It's official. I'm coming. Oh yeah. Not oh, right now, be. but like the, I know some establishments in London that. That need renovation. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's actually been brought in to to, to build safe standing at the Emirates. Yeah, I feel like this is a racist thing, you know, with the Irish building everywhere they go. No, this is is, 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 everyone noticing your first three analogies were the same kind of thing. It has nothing to do with with, uh, man's man. (laughs) Well, actually. You do have something coming up, don't you? Oh, I do, yeah. I've got a charity football match this Sunday yeah, for Gunners v Cancer, which is going to be terrible in terms of quality of football, but it'll be funny in terms of watching a lot of fat men run about. That are are you, you going to record some of it for us? Yeah, please. Uh, you took some great pictures last year, which we which we still use uh, on our on our intro. It's, uh, you know, but we want we we need some video. We need to see I've the, got, I've got the money being raised and the, I've, got and the ban- I've got my banners all ready to go up. I've got everything. Don't worry, man. It's taken care of. Yeah. Andy uh, Andy's gotta send over your GoPro so that you can get video a la we had for the for the charity shootout a couple of years ago and get that get that slow mo reaction video and the fart sound effects. <laughs> Just a lot of heavy breathing. That's all it will be. <laughs> the yeah, we'll, we'll we'll post the audio from the, from the game, and and someone will report it as being like a prank phone call, like like one of these perpetrator things. All right, so that's what's going on. Everyone, just raising money for good causes and trying to think as little as we can about Arsenal's performance on the pitch. So thank you for joining us while we did that, and uh, thanks to everybody in the chat and. Uh, Boys, uh, I mean, let's hope for some of us that things get better and for others of us that things, I guess, stay the same. (laughs) We don't want them to get worse. All right. I'll keep reminding Annie on your guys' performances. Don't worry. Beautiful. All right. Thanks. Have a great week. Come on, you guys. Thanks, guys.